Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, as we bow before you this morning, we are grateful for your many blessings to us, for the riches that you have poured out upon us, that we can be your children, part of your family. We can have your word and apply it to our lives. We pray this morning, especially for Alvin and Emily and, and their family. Let's pray that you bring comfort and peace to them and that you be near to them. Pray your blessing upon Mel as he brings the message he has prepared this morning. May you enable him and equip him, and may your word um, speak to us, and may it change our lives and draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Bless you. You can be seated. Greetings in Jesus' name. Welcome. Several visitors here, happy that you chose to worship with us. Feels nice and warm here this morning, doesn't it? I think that sun does a lot for us, physically and mentally, right? It's good to be here. This morning's message is entitled, A Glorious Treasure. <clears throat> and I want to invite your attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. In just a bit of a, a summary, uh, it's, it's, uh, I'm going to be reading our New King James Version. I think it's a little bit easier to understand. But Paul is, is comparing the Old Covenant with the New Covenant and making some comparisons. And uh, I want to I read these couple of verses and then we're going to go back to making a few comments. I'm going to start in, in chapter 3, verse 7. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 7. And then I'll read to the end of the chapter. I know I'm breaking, sort of breaking into here, but uh, I think that pretty much gets the, the, the gist of what I want. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 7. But if the ministration of death, written and engraved in stones, that's referring to the Old Covenant, the law, the Ten Commandments were really carved on a piece of rock, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. <clears throat> or even that which was made glorious had no glory in his respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which was abolished, but their minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. And I'm going to be continuing reading chapter 4, but I'll do that a little bit later. But uh, just a bit of a setting here. The Apostle Paul is dealing with some competition, I think we would call it. 
from some false teachers who were trying to steal the hearts of the people. And they had difficulty accepting salvation by grace, grace through faith in Jesus Christ. They were trying to keep the traditional way of salvation by works. He's describing the ministry or the treasure that is ours, and we'll get into that in the next chapter. You know, Paul certainly had some hardships, but he's rejoicing in what he had in spite of his hardships. And if you want to, I'm not going to turn to that, but if you want a full list of that, 2 Corinthians 11 gives a whole list of the things that Paul suffered for the sake of Christ. Uh, a lot of physical hardships, near-death experiences, very real threats on his life. You'll see that all listed. You know, we as believers now also have this glorious treasure. And uh, as he makes some comparisons between the Old Testament and the New, I hope that we can see uh, the difference along, uh, kind of catch that glimpse that he's trying to convey to us the, I guess we'd say, the glory of this new covenant or the glory of this treasure. Going back to these couple of verses here in 2 Corinthians 3, I want to look at the first point that I have as a life-giving covenant. And you'll see that in, in these couple of verses right here, verses 7 through 9. Um, he makes reference to the ministry of death versus the ministry of the Spirit. The ministry of condemnation versus the ministry of righteousness. You know, uh, the, we, it, in, in um, Ex, I'm going to turn to the Exodus 34, 29, is what that couple of verses are referencing. Moses came down from his meeting with God on Mount Sinai, and he had this glow on his face. His face just glowed, and they were... Apparently, he didn't know it or think about it. But uh, in Exodus uh, 34, verse 29, And it came to pass when Moses came down from the Mount Sinai with the two tables of, tes of tes testimony in Moses' hand, when he came down from the Mount that Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with them. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone. And they were even afraid to come nigh him. They were... They were afraid to come near him. He had spent some time in, in, in the mountain, and God had given him these, these, this covenant, and his face just glowed. I, it, it'd be interesting to see, uh, see how that would have looked, but apparently it was something very visible and, and very obvious, and, and that's what this is making reference to here. Uh, you know, in, in, their, in the Old Testament culture, there was a constant display of death and bloodshed in their, their uh, sacrifices that they were to offer. We talked a little bit about that this morning in our class. Um, it was just a, a constant. It was part of their life. It's part of their culture. I don't know if, how many of you ever worked in a butcher shop, but as a, as a young boy, my uncle had a butcher shop, and my parents would, of course, hire him to do this butchering, and they would go help cut it up. And I was never there for the, you know, the killing and then skinning and hanging up process, but we always there helping cut meat and that type of thing. I mean, I was too, too young to help, I just watched. But um, I, maybe I don't, didn't do enough of a study, but this is sort of what I see as some of their daily, not the daily, but the sacrifices that, that, that they were to bring. It was a butchering process, and they were dealing with 
sheep and goats and even bulls. Now, maybe they weren't, a lot of them were just supposed to be a year old, so they weren't, you know, great big 2,000-pound animals, but it was still, it was, it was just a lot of messy work. And, uh, but that was what, that was their culture. That's how they lived. That was required of them. And Paul is making a comparison of that to what we have now. Instead of this constant reminder of death and bloodshed, he calls this a life-giving a life covenant. A life-giving covenant, the ministry of the Spirit, or the ministry of righteousness, as he gives it here. And he also makes reference to this Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, going back to the ministry of the Spirit, the Spirit living within us, giving us an understanding, opening our eyes so that we can see the truth that is being conveyed. Verse 12 talks about the hope that we have. And I'm not sure if in their culture they had any hope of ever being delivered from this or not required to do this. But we have a hope. He also talks about the veil that was lifted. There was a lot of, um, the, the Old Testament is full of types and shadows, things that pointed forward. They were to do like, they, they were to offer these sacrifices and that pointed forward to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ. They were to look forward to that. And then he also makes reference to the liberty that we have in verse 17, disobedience to the law had some very serious consequences. They were, we see it quite a bit in the Old Testament, they were cut off from their people. And I'm not exactly sure what that meant, but some form of, of um, excommunication, if you will. They weren't allowed to intermingle. They weren't allowed to associate with their people. They were cut off from their people. There was some consequences, serious consequences for disobedience. And then verse 18, we are now changed in the same image by the Spirit of the Lord. Again, going back to the old covenant, the Spirit did not indwell believers like he does now. The Spirit would be assigned to a, a particular person for a while. You're, okay, one example, Samson was given supernatural powers to do some really crazy things that were not humanly possible except by God's power through the Holy Spirit indwelling him. But today, we have the Spirit living with us, all of us as believers. And so, that brings us to the next point of this treasure. I want to read 2 Corinthians 4, the next chapter, verses 1 through 7, continuing this thought with this treasure. Verse 1, 4, verse 1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man, every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if a gospel is be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom... The God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and our, ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. 
For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Now I want to focus a little bit on this treasure, as we mentioned earlier. We have this treasure, as we see, is a gift. Uh, it is given to us because of God's mercy. Sure, we can all think back to that one verse in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. <clears throat> this treasure is a gift, as we see in the first couple of verses. And uh, we, also, we also see that Paul drew strength from that, making reference in that first verse about lest we, we faint not. He drew strength on his calling, on the, on the calling that God had for him. And turn with me just very briefly back to Acts 9. We're going to see that account when God called him. Now, remember, he was on a mission, but not for God's sake. He was on a mission for the government, had permission to bring them, whoever it was, bound back to Jerusalem and try them for this new faith that they were embracing. In the middle of this, Jesus arrested him on the road, struck him with blindness, and he had to be led back to town. Can you imagine? Here he was, some great, big, powerful man going under the authority of the government and was blind, had to be led back to town. How humiliating. Not only that, but look at his calling in verse 15. Now, this is after the Spirit spoke to Ananias, and Ananias delivered this message to him. Verse 14, Ananias is a little bit scared of this guy because he had heard what's going on, and now God is asking him, here, deliver this message to me. But this is the message from the Lord, verse 15. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So Paul, who was a really true-blooded Jew, and he gives us that in Philippians 3. I'm going to turn back to that to refresh my memory on that. But here he was, this Jew, died in the war, as we say, truly, um, uh, yeah, a full-blooded Jew, as we would say. Verses 3 and 4 of chapter 3 in Philippians, <clears throat> he says, Though I might also have confidence in my flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. In other words, I could beat you guys with anything you come up with. Here's what I got. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews as touching the law of Pharisee. Now, what does all that mean? Well, let's look at that. First of all, circumcised the eighth day. It didn't matter if it was a Sabbath or whatever, they had to do it. That was, that was, that was required. 
of the stock of Israel. Okay, so he could trace his lineage back to some Israelite tribe, one of Jacob's 12 sons, even to the tribe of Benjamin. Now, what's so important or significant about Benjamin? Well, Benjamin was from one of uh, Rachel's two sons. Joseph and Benjamin were the only two sons that were born of Jacob from her. The other 10 boys were all born from Leah or even worse, the slave girls. But Rachel was his favorite wife, remember? She's the one that he really worked for seven years and had to take Leah first. But he really, that was his favorite. Somehow this gave him an extra feather in his hat because he was from Benjamin, which was, you know, um, of the tribe of Benjamin, which was, his mom would have been Rachel. So uh, that's, that, that was important to them. And uh, of course, as touching the law of Pharisee, a very uh, highly educated, formally educated man in their, in their culture and in their teachings. So that's who Paul was. Now he was called to go preach to Gentiles. They didn't think very highly of Gentiles. There's other references that even calls him dogs, if you will. That was Paul's calling. He was now supposed to go to the Gentiles. Okay, so that's who he was. But uh, in spite of that, he drew strength from his calling. And notice he did not just the Gentiles, but to all people, including the Jews. Paul was also very careful to handle the word of God with integrity. Now, he's again comparing with some of these other false teachers that he was competing with who were more in it for themselves. They were more interested in their own reputation and what they could get out of themselves. He did not preach himself, but Jesus Christ the Lord. <clears throat> he also has, makes reference to this God who created light Back at creation, he spoke light into existence. Let there be light, and there was light. It's the same power that now shines in our hearts and gives us the knowledge of the glory of God. And he makes reference to this treasure in an earthen vessel or a jar of clay. Now, if you were to, if you had some real valuable asset, wouldn't you choose something better than a jar, a clay jar? I might go for steel or poured concrete or maybe a combination of the two, but a clay jar? Just a fragile little clay jar? I think I would. Uh, I have... A clay jar that was made by my daughter. She's somewhat of a hobby potter. And uh, she made this. It's got her signature on the bottom. And this jar was simply made out of a lump of clay. And I watched her do it. She'll break off a little piece and then kind of fold it and shape it. Then she has this little wheel that spins and she controls it with her foot. And as it turns, she'll, and this is the impression of her finger, it looks like she has a bit of a thread design, and she would have raised her hand as that thing spins around. That's a clay jar. If I were to drop it, it would probably break. 
So I'm trying not to. Um, but that's the nature of clay. Paul's telling us that God gave us this treasure that we just described in us, which is a form of clay, I guess. We were taken out of the earth just like that clay jar is. It's nothing more than a mixture of earth and water or mud, a certain type of mud, of course. But that's what we were, that's where God chose to hide this treasure. And as you can see, this jar has more sentimental value than actual value. She give, did give me the retail price of, that she would get for that jar, which is moderate, not certainly unaffordable, but um, we use them all the time. We have jars, clay jars that we use all the time. Um, probably had your coffee in one similar to this, right? Well, certainly. Now, I have two of them here, and as you can see, it's just a coffee mug. It's sort of personalized, has an interesting business logo on there, but um, it's something that's very typical, common, and if you were to buy this in a yard sale, you might pay 50 cents for it if someone's really desperate to set up housekeeping. But I have two of them here, and I like to ask a volunteer, someone to help me. I need a helper, maybe about a 10 or 11 year old, boy or a girl, doesn't matter. You won't be sorry. Anyone? 10 or 11 year old? Oh, come on. 12-year-old? No. Got one. Come on up, Thomas. Now, step right up here so I can say behind the mic. You see two coffee mugs here, right? They look the same. They're identical, right? Now, I'm going to let you choose one and keep it. Take it home. Now, look carefully. Which one would you choose? Okay, now hold on. Why did you choose that one? <laughs> Pull it out. There you go. So you see why he chose that one. So this cup, as I said, maybe 50 cents at a yard sale. But that cup had value because of what was in it. It had something valuable in it. It was something that, yeah, immediately that cup had a lot more value. 50 cents versus 10 bucks, that's worth it, isn't it? And I think that's a good picture of what this treasure that we have in, in, in earthen vessels or a clay jar that Paul is referring to. Yeah, there's God certainly could have chosen steel and poured concrete or a combination of the two, 
but he chose to give it to us, you and I, this treasure. This treasure that's given to us of clay, if you will. So all of a sudden, that jar has value. These cups are identical, as near as I could tell. But because of the contents, that cup became a lot more valuable. You know, that's what we are, simply a jar of clay. But it's the treasure inside the jar that gives the jar value. <clears throat> the jar was made by the potter from clay. As I said earlier, it's just a mixture of dirt and water or mud. And that's really what happens to, when I watched her do this, of course she had a protective gear on, there's just mud splattered everywhere, it's all over the walls, it's just, it's a messy job. Uh, it, it's it's a, a rewarding job, and of course, you know, they get very creative, your artistic abilities come out during something like that, and that's more, one of the more simple ones that she made, but um, they get very unique, very creative, and very unusual, which Certainly that gives us value too. But isn't that how God made us? What is there, eight billion of us here on the earth and not a one of us, not two of us are alike? Think about that. Even of the 100 and whatever, 20, 30 people here, there's not even a one of you that are even close to alike. And that's God's design. Made by the master potter. They are certainly unique in every way. And even the one that she does do, they're not cast in a mold. They're all done one at a time. They're usually hand painted and she has a technique for not painting the bottom. I forget how she does it. There's, this is all done by hand. And you know, certainly the potter is very creative. God, our master potter, certainly is creative. All eight billion of us, and no two alike. We've seen a lot of pretty close look on identical twins, but they're not identical. Moving on to the couple of verses, I know I didn't read the last half of this chapter here in, in, in uh, chapter four. I also like a couple of phrases that he used um, he, re he refers to the life of Jesus might be made known in our mortal flesh. Verse 11, that uh, the life of Jesus is manifested in our mortal flesh. Again, remember, we're just clay. We're just made out of the earth, and that's where we will return to someday. Mortal flesh. Verse 14, he also talks about being raised by the same power that raised Jesus. The same power that created light that shines in our hearts. Also, the same power that raised Jesus will also raise us up someday. Verse 16, talks about we are being renewed daily. I hope that that's your experience. I hope that, that's, that you experience that in a new way as you realize this 
treasure, this glorious treasure that is ours, this gift that is ours, that God has given to us and entrusted to us. Certainly something that's, uh, you really stop and think about it. It, it it's really awesome when you, when you realize that God really did entrust that to us. And I, it's just my prayer that the, um, the light of this glorious treasure, the gospel of Christ, could shine through us. And may we be careful to guard this treasure that's been given to us for his honor and for his glory. Thank you for your attention, for your prayers. I'm going to ask you to, uh, to uh, stand and Ken ask you to lead in a closing song and then I'll dismiss with a prayer.